You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. I'm JR. Hello, I am Ben. Hi, I'm Declan. And look, okay, before we go on, I have an email. In fact, I've got several emails because we've not done emails for about, I don't know, three weeks or something. And probably lots of people are waiting to hear their emails read out and I've not got around to it. I'm not going to do them all at the start of this podcast because there are tons of them. But I think I will do, actually, I think I will do two to get us started. And then we'll go into our conversation afterwards. But here is an email from Doc Hume. He says, Gentlemen, I had the most terrible podcasting-related nightmare last night. I dreamt that I was invited onto the pioneering all-female Verity podcast. And before I go any further into the email, I have to point out that that in itself was not his nightmare. <laughs> Clarity. Thank he you. says, as their first male guest, I was determined to make a good impression for the male sex and help dispel some of the unfair stereotypes about casual sexism among fandom. I practiced and practiced. I came up with strong arguments in favor of having a female doctor. I thought of good things to say about all the female companions. I even prepared a list of all the best qualified female writers, directors, and producers in order to support the call for a female showrunner. But you know what they say about the best laid plans of mice and men. With their very first question, they threw me a curveball by asking what I thought of their podcast's namesake, Verity Lambert. Without thinking, I replied, I think she was a remarkably fine and forward-thinking producer, for a woman. Well, anyone can have a slip of the tongue, says Doc Hume. I woke up in a pool of sweat with my bits shriveled up to the size of an acorn, (laughs) I can tell you. And that was Doc Hume's nightmare. Now, whether that was whether that was an actual nightmare or whether he's just uh, pulling our legs, who can say? But uh... yeah, uh, he may be looking for therapy. You never know. <laughs> I, I don't know. So, you ready for another email then? Yeah. Um, okay. Here yeah. comes another email that we had a couple of weeks ago, and it's from. Sorry, Jr. Will there be any any shriveling of bits in this one? Um, I think there may well be shriveling of my bits. That's usually what happens when I read out people's emails. They're always moaning about what I've been talking about. Okay. <laughs> it says, oh, this is from uh, somebody called Ben from Indiana. Wow. <laughs> this is going to be like a weird kind of feedback yes. thing going on here yeah it says very meta very meta indeed in fact (laughs) sometimes we comment on the emails we have had and so ben i'd kind of like you to comment on this email afterwards (laughs) (laughs) okay great because i write so many of these i don't know what i oh that's probably true this would be a nice reminder then ben from indiana says hello blue boxes (laughs) 
<laughs> Regarding your last episode on the name of the Doctor, there was a lot of speculation over the time war and the time lock on said war. And if that's just a symbolic death. Oh, that's right. You are moaning about what I said. <laughs> well, 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 actually, that's the that is the true mark of yeah, a absolutely. podcast fan. In fact, what, no, what you're doing is correcting me because I was wrong, as we're about to find out. Mm, I think I I think I'm gonna <laughs> I I'm say... gonna agree with Ben here. I don't know what the email is, but I've uh, this has been niggling at me for a couple of weeks now. Ever since you mentioned this time, yeah, are you and... telling me you're already ganging up on me, and I haven't even read no, the email no, no, out no, yet? No, 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 that's no. If I could quote Christopher yes. Eccleston's Ninth Doctor from the uh, Unquiet uh, Dick Dead, you are not wrong. There is just more. I think you to might learn. be right. Anyway, shall I get through the? Let's go through the email. And actually, I may have another email on exactly the same thing from somebody else who's uh, correcting me as well. I hate it when people write in and correct me. <laughs> it's, that's. You should not give out your email address. It's very, very simple. <laughs> Hello, Blue Boxes. Uh, well, since 2005, the Doctor has repeatedly made references to the Time Lords all being dead, proper dead, not locked away mm -hmm. in a sort of closet forever. The guilt he carries is too massive, too crippling. It's the guilt of extinguishing countless lives, not the guilt of trapping them in a fishbowl. I mean, can you imagine the Doctor banishing his David Tennant incarnation simply because he trapped the Carrionites in the crystal wall thingy in the Shakespeare Code? So putting a time lock on the war would not cause that level of remorse. Over and over since Series 1, the Doctor talks about how he killed all the Time Lords, how he watched them burn. And in Part 2 of The End of Time, the Time Lords sitting around the conference table with Rassilon talk about how it's the last day of the Time War, and the Doctor is going to use the moment, whatever that is. Something fiery, I assume. But the implications we get from the Time Lords is that they are all doomed. It's the last day, and they are about to die, and they cannot escape it. So the impression I've always had is that, yes, the entire Time War was time-locked from day one to the last day, and nobody could escape the time-lock, and on the last day they all burned until they were all dead. That's how you create guilt. Add fire. Anyway, still loving the podcast, and I can't wait for the character options to issue 3.75-inch action figures of Lee, Simon, J.R. and Mark. <laughs> <laughs> P.S. There's even a P.S. Oh. Oh, listen to right, me. Right, you're going to wow. enjoy okay. this. JR asked, what ev uh. JR asked everyone what they think the title will be for the 50th anniversary special. I'm pretty sure it will be either the mailing address of the Doctor or the <laughs> pants size of the Doctor or the grocery list of the Doctor. Oh, I shouldn't. Have oh no, it was funny. Uh, I should have quit while I was ahead. So uh, Ben, how weird does that feel <laughs> having your your email read out to you on the podcast? Well, two things pop up immediately. I am a wordy bitch, and two, uh, you you read my words much better than I can actually say. <laughs> them. I I kind of have. I have this weird kind of a weird stutter, and I have this awkward American accent. And in, in fact, people listening, if it helps, just picture me as uh, looking like that, you know, um, uh, uh, American rocket captain from Tomb of the uh, Cybermen. <laughs> you know, that's exactly how I look. Way to go, Vic! I think I mean, you sound fine. What was that guy's name? Was it? Yes, beautiful, beautiful accent. Yeah, absolutely. You only think it's bad because you live with it. 
Yes, it's it is in my head const constantly. Listen, <laughs> I I come from Northern Ireland, where it, it's possibly the the worst accent in the British Isles. You know, it, it's a, oh, I am sitting here loving it. Wow. Oh, I love it. If you want to do like a a life swap, you're more than welcome. You know, I'll I'll go. We should swap. Yeah. Yes, or just an accent. Not wife swap. swap. Life. Is life there a swap. button here? Like oh yeah, you. because me and Declan, or Declan and I. Is there, there. Either way, Declan and I are here in the British Isles, yeah. where actually it's sunny now, but it's rainy usually. Whereas yes, yeah. I'd imagine, Ben, that you get a lot more sun than we do. We get a lot of sun and uh, twisters, oh. tor tornadoes, as we say. Uh, so, uh, uh, well, but actually, this is really weird, because you guys are technically five hours yes. in the future. Yeah. From from me, and I'm stuck here in the uh, past. This is well. That's how we're crap. going to. Well, when I put this What's podcast together, I am going to have to edit very carefully to get you into a kind of time sync with the other two of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I'm sitting here wondering. Can you guys give me any advice from the future? You know, what what is the world going to? Well, be like interestingly in enough. Uh, obviously, we'll talk about this in a minute, but Matt Smith just stepped down as the Doctor, but Declan and I know who's going to replace him. That's true. Yeah, we do. Really? It's Timothy Mallet. Ever heard of him? No, never. I don't get Well, the write it down. Timothy Mallet. And as soon as you come off the podcast, you Timothy get yourself Mallet. down a betting shop yeah. and get a, get a good few quid on <laughs> Timothy Mallet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on it don't 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 timmy, timmy mallet is a children's mallet. tv presenter from about 25 years ago and he's awful and he's never going to be the doctor <laughs> one of the few children's tv presenters who's still uh not in the police cell <laughs> yeah that's oh, true wow. enough and also are, are you are you guys still betting on who it's going to be i mean really is this all over the the uh, papers the oh it's still everywhere yeah of course, speaking of time paradoxes, we ought to point out to the people listening to this podcast that we are actually recording it a week ago. Oh, oh, double oh, paradox. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So, you, so they'll already know. So you're calling, me from, you're calling me from the We're future We're calling past. you from the double future, and you're in the double past. That is something you can put on your I, breakfast, I you know, have... the double past. Most uh, dairies will sell that product <laughs> in a small jar. Oh, do you notice how I have cleverly steered us email? out of yeah. my uh, email? Because I uh, we're going yeah, back there. Well. I've got another email from Steve from Manchester, which ties in. So I may as well do that one now. <clears throat> Love it. Tie oh, me in, Steve. Don't tell Go, Steve, to tie you in. He actually will do that. He says, JR, when do we ever see Christopher Eccleston describing himself as the ninth Doctor instead of the tenth? Oh, this is to do with the John Hurt thing I was talking about, but it comes back to the time lock mm. in a moment. He right. says, the numbering mm. is something we view as a sign to the various Doctors. They don't use it themselves. Um, actually, he then goes on to the time lock, time lock, but I'll address that. You know, when I was, I was talking about uh, Christopher Eccleston regarding himself as the ninth when he should be regarded as the 10th a couple of weeks ago when we mm. were talking about what John Hurt mm -hmm. might be. But, you know, I didn't mean he'd do that out loud. I meant that in his head. I meant that he would forget that the 9th had existed in his head and consider himself as the one that followed Paul McGann in his head. You know what I'm saying? I, I didn't... Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Sure, anyway, yeah. Steve yeah. Steve carries on and yeah. says, I also think you've got the time lock arse about face. It's mentioned <laughs> <laughs> it's mentioned so many times in series one that it's pretty plain that the time war was ended by some act of destruction. It's not just that the time lock was metaphorically destructive. He tells us at the end of the end of the world that his planet's dead. It burned like the earth. It's just rocks and dust. He tells us in Dalek that he caused 10 billion Dalek ships to burn. The time lock is surely to stop anyone going back to change that. Plus, putting two races in a time lock is not some horrific crime deserving of wiping a doctor from history. Certainly not for dramatic purposes. <clears throat> so basically, he's saying exactly the same as you, Ben. He said, and uh, yeah, and, you know, he's right and you're right. And I, you know, the thing that confuses me about that is that I always think of that episode of um, The End of Time, the one that's partly on Gallifrey. Mm -hmm. And there's just mm -hmm. something about yeah. that that seems to be that that is the final end of the Time War. Well, yeah, it's coming later yeah, on yeah, in yeah. that day. They say that, uh, according to the uh, witch lady, that this is the final day of the Time War. You know, that was probably their little breakfast, uh, uh, yeah. I don't know, nook, where they were having their morning uh, coffee. And like, okay, so what is on the uh, schedule today for the uh, <laughs> big old war that we uh, have going on? And then the lady says, oh, at the, at the, the end of, of this day, fire will come and kill us all. And they're like, ah. I bet you she was popular. I guess we're stuck. Do you know what, um, do you know <laughs> yeah. what it was specifically that's caused the confusion? And it might just... Mm, yeah. Well, this is... Well, Russell T. Usually, with Russell T. Davis and with Stephen Moffat, the the sort of illogicalities in the plots don't usually get to me. But I think this is one instance. If the Doctor destroys Gallifrey, destroys the yeah. Daleks, and then time locks the whole of the Time War to stop anybody from getting in and changing anything, or to stop any of it escaping into the post time locked universe. Then the actual time war itself would have continued as if it weren't time locked until the destruction, and it would be sort of time locked, backdated from that point. But pre-time lock, right. if the time lords are already finding, you know, trying to find ways to get out of the time lock by, for example, you know, uh, giving the master this drumming sound in his head so that they can follow the signal and stuff. Then I just, you know, I can't figure it straight in my head how they can be trying to escape from the time lock before the time locks happened. And I know wibbly wobbly, timey wimey, and their time lords. <clears throat> mm -hmm. But surely once they're in the time lock, it's too late for any of that to change. But the... maybe think Go of on. it this way: maybe, maybe picture your, yourself. You are in a car, and the steering has gone out. The brakes have uh, gone out. There is this huge tree coming coming at you, and and you can't get your uh your you know door open, and so you see the end is coming, but no matter what you do, you cannot get out of the out of the car. You are locked inside oh, absolutely. that car. So you Brilliant. go back in time to make sure the brakes don't lock or whatever. The steering doesn't lock. <laughs> that's the best. That's the best sort of metaphor or analogy that I've heard for it. Yeah, that's it, Ben. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, thank yeah, you. It. It's much better than the complicated, waffling version that I had in my head. That that's it exactly. Oh, what you're trying to say as well is it's better than the complicated waffling version of it that I was about to come out with. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, 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 no. No, what, what I, what I, I think is because of the very nature of the time war, it was it involved time travelers. So obviously, for time lords or Daleks, there was always a way to get out, to go forward in time, to go back in time. So once the war ended, or the Doctor ended the war by killing them all, he had to ensure that they couldn't escape. None of that could that. happen yeah. retrospectively, because he said, "Well, this is the Daleks or time travelers, the time lords, obviously." Or time travelers, so he had to do something after destroying the planet, after destroying God knows how many systems and other races. He said, "Right, I've done that. Now I have to seal it in like a ship, ship in a box." Absolutely, yeah. And and uh, <laughs> there's even the telling line. I mean, so there's no doubt whatsoever. Uh, I think it's in the doctor. Yeah, it's in the doctor's wife. Whenever a uh, house says to the doctor, "Fear me." I've killed hundreds of time lords. That's right. And the doctor replies, fear me, I killed them all. Yeah, you're right. And that's, uh, that's sort of like, mm-hmm. that's how I said he did kill them all. The time lock, um, the, the final days of Gallifrey that we saw in the end of time, that was like, imagine going back to the last day of the Second World War or when Hitler was in his bunker. Yeah, yeah. And the thing- plucking him out of... Out of time for a while, he does something nasty. Then at the end of it, he goes back into his bunker and shoots himself. If that makes any sense, I, th- I think Bands was better. So I think it makes sense what both of you said. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. The, the, it just doesn't sit right with me that that episode <clears throat> can almost be treating the time lock as something that the people who are inside it can see. I, I don't know. Just that, um, anyway, let's move on. Otherwise, we'll be all episode on the time lock. There is one more sentence at the end of Steve from Manchester's email. And seeing as I'm doing the podcast this week with you two, rather than with the regular crew, I can read it out. He finishes his email with this final message. He says, while it may be true that my emails do always seem to attack your ideas, JR, please let the others know that I'll be happy to attack their ideas too, should they ever express any. <laughs> oh, bring it on, Steve! Oh, sorry. Bring it on. That was just right. Off the emails now. Let's get into a podcast with the three of us. Oh dear! No, I alluded to this a minute ago. Um, you know, by the time this podcast goes out, it will be two weeks since we found out. But um, it's still worth talking about. What did either of you two think of sure. the news that Matt Smith was leaving? Hmm. Uh, Go on, Declan, you go uh, first. Yeah. Declan. Oh, okay. Um, I have to admit, I wasn't surprised. Um, I'd heard rumblings and rumors that that indeed was the case uh, as far back as uh, March, February, March, that he was going to leave, as I understood it at the time, after the 50th anniversary. Uh, episode. I still think um, and, that. And I, but, but I thought that that was, you know, just one of those rumors that you hear flying around. When it was finally announced or it was uh, preempted, I, I think they wanted to announce it later. But yeah, yeah. anyway, we'll come back to that. Uh, when it was announced, I, I, as I said, I wasn't surprised, but it did affect me more than I thought it would. I, I, I suddenly realized. Oh, oh goodness! He's you know he's going. I'm 
it seems like he hasn't done enough as much Doctor Who. Yeah, hasn't done enough as as much as I would have liked him to have done. But he's been there what three three years, coming up to four years. Well, it's which is yeah, it'll be four standard. years. It seems three series, but one of them was spread across two years, wasn't it? So. Yeah, I'm wondering, Declan, do you maybe feel that way because there's been so much empty space between his actual appearances on TV? I think so. I think I think that might be it. It's 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 uh-huh. it's like he, you know, I I I love you know series five, series six, um, series seven, parts one and two. They have been spread across. It feels like it feels like he hasn't had a fair crack of the whip but he has really i mean he's done what's that three times 14 i'm no good at mathematics but that's he did a lot of episodes yeah he's done well each of the split seasons each half of the last season was basically the equivalent of a sylvester mccoy season so it's like he's done it's like he's done four (laughs) mccoys and a full baker and he's done 14 episodes in the past year (laughs) yeah Yeah, absolutely he has (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's great! But what did you? <laughs> I like that. Scene. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's the wrong way round, really, isn't it? He's done one Baker and four real McCoys. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, when you add in all the specials as well, because of course, yeah. having spread out Matt Smith like that, he's got more specials under his belt than, say, Tennant would have before the year of specials. What do you mean? Do you mean like uh, the... the Christmas specials? Christmas special yeah. and the forthcoming. I know I wasn't thinking of that just yet, but of course you will have that. But what I mean is, by spreading um, series seven across two years, it had two Christmas specials instead of just the one. All those. Oh yeah. Because all those box sets that come out with the Christmas specials in, when that box yeah. set, assuming it does, comes out, it'll have the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe, and the Snowmen. That'll be two Christmas specials for the price of one. From series seven. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then a Christmas Carol was. Yeah. No, that was between five and six. Wasn't yeah. It? Yeah. Okay. I see what you mean. Five and six. Yeah. Ben, what did you what did you think when you heard? Well, uh, I think I was telling you earlier. I I, I felt kind of like I wasn't that surprised, mm. just like uh, Declan, and um, it kind of felt in in inevitable and. Um, uh, I, I was trying to think of why it felt in, in, inevitable, why I didn't feel, no, no, this can't happen. And I, I was kind of thinking back how, you know, we had that whole thing where the head of the of the BBC said that 2012 wouldn't be a full series. And then it, and people were wondering why. And then there was the whole thing about the the uh, anniversary year wasn't wasn't even a full series, and the uh, head of the BBC said, "Well, it's uh, because Stephen Moffat is busy mm-hmm. doing uh, Sherlock." And you, you know, and I, I think I was saying out, it kind of created this weird impression in my head that that it seemed like the people making Doctor Who were treating it like a part time job or well, like taking it for granted, project, really, in, which in a way, yeah. And I, I I'm sure that's really unfair to the many people who you know, sweat and give it their all to make this show actually happen. But it's been kind of the accidental impression that has been, I guess, created for Mm. me. Because you got the really long gaps, the split-up series that was rationed out over two years. The unintended message 
has been that Doctor Who, you, you know, it's 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 like Series 5 and Series 6. It seemed like Doctor Who was everyone's main focus. Series 7 felt more like, yeah, we'll probably get to it one of these days eventually, you know. And then, oh, crap, we need to do a series. Oh, crap, oh, crap. We need to get scripts fast. And so, it, it, and again, that's so unfair. It's probably wrong. But it's the unintended message that's been sent. So I kind of felt like Matt Smith... It didn't seem like a surprise because it's been feeling less and less like this has been one of his main focuses, which, again, not fair, but that's just kind of how it feels. I, don't, I, don't mm, I, can. Mm, I mean, I, I, I think, I mean, there are quite a, a lot of people who, who, who do feel that, and some of them are quite vocal about it, especially on, you know, social media sites like Twitter, uh, quite vocal about the fact that we're not getting... We're not getting, remember that, that phrase, we're not getting as if we're somehow yeah. owed. Um, we're being we're cheated. Being cheated. Yes. We're not getting, <laughs> you know, 14 episodes a year and all that sort of stuff. And although I, I, I do think that's a bit over the top, I, I, I can sort of see where they're coming from because of the split series. But I think that this isn't anything to do with Stephen Moffat being spread to thin or anything like that you know he's he's a professional and it's the bbc and they're clever enough to plan for these things you know they're not just yeah going to let the fate of it rest <laughs> in the hands of one guy he's, he's a writer he's executive producer but essentially he's a writer mm -hmm. and the sort of creative controller of the show but i think there's more at play than just Stephen moffat having to do sherlock as well the or matt smith going off to do a movie the fact of the matter is Whenever you get a season or a half season, you've always got Stephen Moffat writing the first episode and the last episode. And whether there's six episodes in between or three episodes in between or 11 episodes in between, you know, that's not... That, that, although Stephen Moffat obviously does have to keep his eye on those episodes and probably would have to do a considerable amount of polishing and rewriting to a certain extent. It's not all down to Stephen Moffat, and there are writers he trusts to get on and do the job. You know, I'm sure Mark Gatiss would have been happy to write four episodes for 2012 and four episodes oh, yeah. for 2013, had he been invited yeah. to. And if the BBC had made an arrangement and put forward the money to film that number of episodes... Mm -hmm they would have got made. So it's not yeah. all down to Stephen Moffat. Obviously, some of this rests with the BBC and with the budgets. And the other producers. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I, I was actually wondering, has it ever been explained why the 2012 series didn't happen and they just took part of the 2013 series and spread it out over two years? Not really, uh, no. I, I, I think... Okay, because I think what I had always heard was they were just shifting the uh, schedule to start later. So you would start in the, I think, in the fall, yeah, yeah. end in the spring, and then start in the fall again. Mm -hmm. So this year, I was expecting Series 8 to start in the fall. But now that's not happening. So it, it really feels like it's being rationed out. I think out a lot reason. of the time you've got to take the sort of announcements they make about those kind of things with a huge pinch of salt. Because of... Yeah, the fact <laughs> of the matter is those announcements are not for the fans who look at these yeah. things that closely. When they say something yeah. like, we'd like to start Doctor Who in the autumn because we think it's right 
for Doctor Who to be on in the autumn. You know, they're not saying that to the fans, you can expect Doctor Who in the autumn every year. They're saying that to the general public, for whom it'll be a case of, okay, get ready for Doctor Who in the autumn. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, they've forgotten that they even heard that message. They're just ready for Doctor Who in the autumn. (laughs) And the following year, you know, they'll get another message and then they'll be ready for Doctor Who you know, at whatever time is specified then. I think people read too much into these things. People who think about it too much. Yeah, like us. <laughs> that, that, that is really interesting Be, because I'll, I'll just say this. As a fan stuck in a basement in the middle of the North uh, uh, American continent, I'm not really plugged into the actual going on every day of mm. the culture that is in the UK. So what what you're saying is that for the, for the average person on the uh, on the uh, block there, this isn't really a no, big deal. Absolutely it's, not. it's no, pretty yeah. much only the fans. Yeah. Okay. In Britain, right. Doctor right. Who is... See, this is in America, and I'm not meaning to be patronizing, but in America, it's kind of a cult thing with you guys. It's something that ah, you right. kind of... It's something absolutely. that you have to seek out to watch. In Britain, it's yeah. prime mm-hmm. time on our number one channel, you know? Yeah. It's absolutely yeah. overground in Britain. It's something that is, you know, that the entire nation is well aware of. Something like quarter of the nation watches. It's, it's like Ooh. it's like bread and milk. You know, it's it's part of it's part of your everyday <laughs> life over here. So when, yeah. go on. Well, yeah. let me ask you this: Are are the everyday people getting tired? No, of no, 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 not at all. And I think one of the reasons no. why. Uh, Declan would probably agree with me here, is because of the way it keeps changing. And I think yeah. the fact that there's been a bit less and that they have split it up has actually helped keep it fresh. Absolutely. And yeah. and if, if for example, there was a season of uh, Doctor Who that was of exceptionally bad quality, bad writing, bad effects and all that, yeah, sure, people might start yeah, when I say people, I mean the sort of general public, the the not we, you know, that that expression mm. may say, oh no, it's a bit naff, it's not so good anymore. But the fact is, Doctor Who constantly surprises, whether it be in terms of story or in terms of scheduling, or in terms of just the appearance uh, of it, the look of it, the appearance. You know, you know, some years it's got. 14 episodes, it's on for 14 weeks of the year, the next year it's on for five, then the year after another five, and then, you know, it, it, it's constantly surprising. And the quality has been absolutely, especially of the most recent season, has been absolutely incredible. And were that not the case, people, you know, might, uh, might, people might start getting annoyed. The, the, the general public might say, ah, it's a bit naff, it's no good. And then we end up as it was back in 1988, 1989. Oh, yeah. This this is exactly why it was very unfair for for me to say that it seems like the people making Doctor Who are treating it as a side project because I am obviously because of where I live I am getting all this news and everything I'm looking at it through a very filtered fan yeah yeah uh, oh yeah and And the the thing is not having the experience of being in Britain and seeing you know quite how all-encompassing Doctor Who is in this country, it's impossible to be able to understand, you know, how the general public Mm. would think about it because you never see, you know, how... It's like when I walk into work 
Um, most of the people in my office will either have seen it or at least knew it was on. Whereas I suppose if you walk into an office with X number of dozen people, most of them wouldn't even know that it would exist. Well, but I, I have to say, Ben, Ben, exactly. I have been in a very similar situation to yourself regarding this. For the first four years of Doctor, since Doctor Who's return, I was living in France. Uh -huh. I lived in France. Oh. So uh, it wasn't on French TV at that point. I think it started to be broadcast towards the end of, I think, 2008. That's the year I, I, I left France. So... I was, I had no idea that back home in Britain, it was such a big thing. I, I was still looking at it as, as, as a cult, sort of like a cult niche thing. And, you know, I had no one to talk to about it. I'd, I'd talk to my colleagues at work in France and say, oh, did anyone uh, heard about this show, Doctor Who? You know, blank stares. That wouldn't be the case now in France, incidentally, <laughs> because it's, it's, quite po it's quite popular. That, and, and, so interesting. And the news wow. I was getting, I was going on to the forums and all the sort of uh, sci-fi and nerd websites and getting all the news. And of course, all the information you get in those sites is always very heightened and it's very opinionated. So I was hearing stories, you know, Doctor, it's not as good as it was back in the days of Peter Davis and Caves of Andrazani and all this sort of stuff. I was seeing it from a different angle, not realizing it back home. People who never watched the show before, like my mum and my dad, my sisters, uh, people who no interest in the show previously, everyone was sitting around to watch it, but I had no idea of this. So I was getting my information through a very different prism. Yeah. And so I, I, I see where you're, yeah, I see yeah. where you're coming from. It was really uh, any bit of news about Doctor Who I got, I thought, wow, that's really big. Oh, you know. And you know they. That's how I still am. am honestly. Yeah. Sorry, no, listen. I was only going to say. And the brilliant thing about this now is, because we've got this 20 years of hindsight, 25 years nearly since Sylvester McCoy and since the Colin Baker hiatus and all that kind of thing, and the BBC now knows, you know, just what the value of Doctor Who is. If we ever do, if we ever do get a season where it suddenly dips to like 3 million viewers or anything like that, when, it, you know, suddenly the British public do turn against it, I don't think they'll drop it altogether. I think they'll just no. replace the Doctor, replace the showrunner, give it two years off the air, <clears throat> and, you know, at the end of the second year, bring it back with a big fanfare, and all of a sudden yeah. the public will tune in again to see what changes they have made, unlike the changes they failed to make when, you know, season 23 came back with Colin Baker, and it will be a success again because it can reinvent itself, and the BBC do understand that now. It's very important to them. It's very important to the BBC. Okay, yeah. so as two guys who are actually living in uh, in the uh, UK, where you get the Doctor Who constantly in, in the uh, culture, and and as fans, then are you, are you guys personally feeling like you are getting kind of rationed out? Does it feel a bit odd to you, or uh, does it feel yeah. fine? Declan, you go first. Um, per personally, I I don't feel like it's being rationed out. I, of course, I, I'd love it to be on uh, every week of the year. Of course, you know, I'd be a fool not to want that. that that's never going to happen. No, I'm, I don't feel it's being rationed out. I, I feel like um, we're, we're really, what, what we're watching now on Doctor Who, it, it's really so good and so 
exciting and everything that's coming up this year and all the changes, you know, I, I, I think it's it was worth the wait for 7B. I, I really thought it was worth the wait. And it's worth the wait until the 23rd of November and mm. all the things that will come before that. I, I, don't, I don't feel any way cheated or that it's been rushed. I, I, I'd rather they did that than do 14 weeks of, let's say, maybe four good episodes and uh, seven bad ones. You know what I mean? I, I'm <clears> quite happy with it as it stands at the moment. Now, would I like that every year? Not necessarily, but no, I don't, I don't feel... I think if they keep moving the goalposts, you know, we had a full series... We had a full series in 2010, Series yes. 5. Mm -hmm. Then in 2011, we had a full series but split into two halves. And then, you know, we've had a full series across two years this time. But the news reports are, or not the news reports, the rumours are that there's going to be a full season next year, as you would expect, of course, with a new Doctor. So, to me, as long as they keep moving the goalposts and... Say you get a full series uh, for two out of every four years, and then in the other two years you get a half series each on those. I mean, budgets are tight. And Absolutely. that is still yeah. three years' worth of Doctor Who, more than three years' worth because of all the specials as well. It's like three years' worth of Doctor Who every four years. And as far as I'm concerned, that'll do me. You know? Yeah, I agree. Well, I, I, I got to say, you, you guys are making me feel better because, and, and again, this is why it was very unfair of me to say that it feels like a part-time job because the filter... I don't think it was unfair. I don't think it was unfair oh, okay, okay. to say that. Because right. no, no. the filter that I get is very, you know, panicky and what is going yeah. on. And um, I don't know where I was going with that, but uh, I do think fans panic too much. I think you're better off, you know, whatever you say on an internet forum, whatever you're thinking, you know, at home when you're sitting in front of the computer, that's not going to affect what you get on the mm. television. You're better off, mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean, it's such an obvious thing to say, and it's so much harder to actually do this, <laughs> but it's better to just relax and accept what you get on the telly. And if you want to talk about Doctor Who on the forums, talk about what you've had and what you think of what you've had, uh -huh. rather than trying to imagine what you're going to get and try and rationalize the explanations for the people who are making the program, because you never can understand all the different things that go into making it. Um, exactly. Hmm. You know, uh, the one thing that I would point towards and say, look, this is what it could have been. If you look at the last three years of Russell T. Davis and the first three years of Stephen Moffat, with the last three years of Russell T. Davis, you had two full series and then you had that year of specials. And I think both of those two full series were kind of flawed because there was kind of... There was a little bit of the impression that they were kind of on a production run, on a bit of a treadmill. Some of the episodes mm. in the middle weren't as good, weren't getting the attention. I mean, you know, everybody who was working on those episodes was probably trying to make those episodes as good as they possibly could be. But you did get the impression with things like the Lazarus Experiment and uh, some of the middle ones with Donna, maybe the Sontaran ones, that people's mm. eyes weren't quite as on the ball as they were with, say, things like Blink and Silence in the Library and Midnight. 
And then you got the yeah. year of specials, which was so disjointed. And there was so much expectation resting. If you had a single episode in the middle of a nine-month oasis of Doctor Who, so much is resting on that one episode. So Stephen Moffat could have had a full series in 20. 12 or in 2013 and in the other one of those two years he could just have had a couple of specials but that would have put too much emphasis on those specials and that series would then have perhaps had to have been rushed through and the middle stories in that series would have perhaps been forgotten about a bit so by splitting it this way where you've got half a series and a couple of specials you know in each of those years it, it kind of takes the mistake perhaps that was made in the Russell T Davis years and makes good on it yeah, hmm. and ups the quality as well. It ups the quality. It makes it makes. Uh... It allows them to concentrate a bit more on what they are doing than rather thinking too much about what they're not doing. Do you know yeah. what might actually help calm all of the fears? Go you on. know that that is in the fan community is if the BBC would come out and just say that you know just say that look this is what we are doing, mm. but I I don't ever hear that. And that's why, yeah, I hear the fan uh, reasoning is what I, I always think, hear. I think the trouble is the the BBC don't talk to the fans. They talk to the great British public. Which gets back to yeah. what you were saying about yeah. how, oh, it is on in uh, mm. in, in uh, the fall. Everything's fine. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. And, the, and the BBC themselves are under a huge amount of pressure in this, in, in Britain. You know, they, mm-hmm. they're, they're attacked for whatever they do. You know, in the case of Doctor Who, they're attacked by the fans. Anything else, they're attacked by the, the newspapers, the tabloids, the government. So the BBC, under a lot of pressure in general... Our Prime Minister um, actually said, before he became Prime Minister, that one of the things, and he didn't say this as um, an indication of something that he was actually going to do. He was talking about something that he would like to do. But before he came became prime minister he did actually say that on becoming prime minister he would like to disband the bbc and get rid of it altogether <laughs> yeah that, okay yeah. that is such a good point because whenever i read anything about the bbc it's always in regards to doctor who and what's going on with doctor who there's this there's this whole other bigger picture which i fail to ever latch mm. onto and put and put into context with what's happening with Doctor Who. That, that, and absolutely, that as Declan was saying, there's huge pressure there. Hmm. So the fact that they're still making their most expensive program at all is a kind of a minor miracle in itself. <laughs> you guys, yeah, and, and you, you guys have given ben, me so I... much, so much calm here. I, I'm loving it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think there are two things to say there. One, even that this guy, <laughs> one, this guy is not going to be prime minister for very much longer. And two, no. even if he was, he knows that getting rid of the BBC would be a ridiculous thing to do. He'd <laughs> never get it through Parliament, and the country oh, yeah. would turn on him if he did that. Yeah. The number of people exactly. who the number of people who dislike the BBC intensely enough to want to see it got rid of is outnumbered by the number of people who like the BBC with an equal passion that it's just an insignificance really. And that's why that's why you don't get the BBC, you know, releasing a statement to Doctor Who fans explaining their decision because I tell you what, it's probably so low down that, that problem 
in in the mountain of problems that they have. You know, they've got they've got people accusing them of racism. Mm. They've got people accusing mm. them of this, that, and the other. Uh, a, a handful of very vocal Doctor Who fans. Yeah, they don't have to worry about that. It's like if you, you think know, that... of it, the audience for Doctor Who in this country is eight million people, where the number of yeah. British Doctor Who fans talking on forums and moaning is probably eight hundred. <laughs> you know, it's it, it, the, the BBC are a massive organisation that is paid for and watched oh. by the entire country. They're not going to suddenly start talking to eight hundred people, and, and that totally would put into context and explain why the head of the BBC would feel confident enough to make a joke that, well, Stephen Moffat is writing Sherlock. He doesn't mm. have time to do Doctor Who. Ha, ha, ha. Everyone else was going, ah, ha, ha, except for those 800 people who yeah, exactly. were scrutinizing that. What? What is this? What? Yeah. Get rid of Moffat. Yeah. He's needs to focus on Doctor Who. He's... Yeah, all that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Those, those 800 <laughs> people a... would take that sort of statement at absolutely face value. I mean, they might appreciate that he's not uh, being entirely serious, but at the same time, because he's said it, and because it becomes a piece of evidence in the bigger picture, it takes on a much bigger significance than it ever really should have had. That would be such exactly. a good podcast. Uh, podcast just about insane fans and call it the 800 people and uh, well you know we've wow. been we've been on for nearly 45 minutes or something and we haven't actually started on the topic of this <laughs> we haven't well, actually started on the topic this week. jr maybe we should take a take a note from Stephen moffat and split up the podcast over two <laughs> podcasts you know yeah. A split no, series it, on the blue box, you know? It could be a long podcast. You won't know this yet, but the podcast that's going out tonight as we're recording this, or sometime over this weekend, is actually the longest one we've ever done. It's an hour and 45 minutes. Wow. Declan, let's break it! Let's let you know. <laughs> yeah. Let's, shall yeah. we start on the uh, topic that we, we, we sure. actually assembled here to mm -hmm. discuss? Yeah, or, I'm yeah. serious, you could actually yeah. stop the podcast now and just put it out as a, a podcast about the education of a guy from the USA on the British culture and Doctor Who, and then start a whole new podcast now about Series 7B. <laughs> No, let's yeah. do it. Let's give people their value for money and do it all in one go. All right, good, good. Yeah. Because that's a lovely, although exceptionally long, preamble to what we're here to talk about. <laughs> it all ties yeah. in. We're here to talk about Matt Smith and the last eight episodes, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. This is our, this is basically our, well, this is what I called the live feedback because last year I did an episode almost made up entirely of emails and to my mind that one was a bit dry so this time i've got you on so i can get kind of live feedback from people who listen to the podcast saying what you guys thought of these episodes living talking yep. emails yeah got it and that's, that's exactly right. that's kind of the yeah that's kind of the point <laughs> And, and what we did as well was I asked you to and I myself, we all put those episodes kind of in a vague sort of order from, you know, favorite to least favorite. So I could do what I like to do and talk about the episodes in reverse order of how much we liked them. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, well, this is interesting. The story that came bottom, we did all vote and I've totted up the votes and the story that came bottom we, each of the three of us, have got a different 
most favorite and least favorite story. And the story mm. that came bottom among the three of us was the one that Ben voted least favorite, and that was The Rings of Akaten. I did. Right. I did yeah. you, you know what was funny? When, when I was doing this ranking, um, my bottom four stories kind of shifted. They, 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 they actually kept shifting in my ranking between, you know, number five, six, seven, eight. And my top four stories kept kept shifting between first, second, third, fourth yep. place. But but the fourth at the top stayed right, at the yeah. top. Fourth the bottom stayed at the bottom. So I, I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting. Do you know what? I think yeah, I had yeah. exactly the same thing, to be honest. I'm looking at my list now. I've got it up in front of me. And any of those first four episodes and any of those last four episodes pretty much really on a kind of a par with each other. And Declan, I think you probably had a similar sort of thing going on with yours. Yeah, I mean, I I was the same. I, I kept, you know, the the bottom three or four, I kept shifting them. No, but I like that bit. No, I'll change that. I don't know which one should be the bottom, which one should be. I love them all. I don't know. And I, I felt like I was being unfaithful to one by putting it down. And, you know, um, I, I had a similar experience. I went, I went through my list a good few times in order to, before the, the list, I finally, the ranking, I have to be careful as I say that, uh, the ranking I settled on, and um, and I have to and, say, uh, I don't think, and I, I, I don't think between any of the eight episodes, I don't think anything stood out as dreadful, and I don't think anything well, stood out as spectacular. I think it was it. pretty much a sort of solid, just a solid run of eight episodes, really. Absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It, it was solid. I mean, I, 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 I'll go on record and, and say this. I've said it before, but without wanting to preempt any of the discussions we're going to have later on, for me, as a Doctor Who fan, I, and I've, I've loved Doctor Who my entire life, even during the, the gap years, the wilderness years, I would say that was, was my favorite series of Doctor Who, full stop. Not just since it returned, but since day one. Oh, this, How about you, Ben? This is, this is going to be awkward, because <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I, 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 I liked it. I didn't feel like it was my favorite. I'm sorry, Declan. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's no, okay. no, no, okay. no, 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 uh, It'd be terrible if we all felt you, the same you know, way about it. I'll, I'll oh, tell yeah, you what it was. Boring. My overall impression was a bit of being under underwhelmed. And I, I think, mm. I'm trying to think of how to describe it. Do you know how in the uh, uh, Olympic Games, when they have the gymnastics, uh, you know, they'll do these amazing mm -hmm. routines on the uh, parallel bars or uh, the uneven bars. It'll be so great. And then yeah. they won't stick the uh, uh, landing. They'll, they'll go and they'll kind of yeah. trip. That's kind of how I felt Series 7B was for me. There was stuff I loved, and every episode was really big on spectacle, big on the wow factor, but then it seemed like more times than not, they would kind of crap out on the on the endings, and <laughs> I don't know. It's... <laughs> I tell you, yeah, no, I see, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. I, um, you know what's happening here? Ben is slightly underwhelmed. Declan <laughs> is slightly overwhelmed. And I've got to tell you guys, I'm pretty much just whelmed. This is this is the most balanced podcast on the internet right Probably. now. 
<laughs> I would say my <laughs> my overall impression of the series. Uh, to use your analogy, Ben, yeah. my overall impression of the series is of sitting in front of, you know, some gymnasts doing gymnastics that are so spectacular that probably by the time you get to the 17th or 18th gymnast, regardless <laughs> of how spectacular what they're doing is, yeah. you're kind of thinking to yourself, yeah, okay, but the last guy did something equally as spectacular, and the next guy's going to do something equally as spectacular. You know, it's spectacular. You've got to do a bit more to impress me. Hmm. And, uh, okay. and, and you yeah. know what? I think also, this is getting back to what we were talking about earlier. Maybe my expectations were a little bit higher because it seemed like they had two years to make one series. Whether, whether uh, that is real or not, that was kind of the impression that I had going into this. And because it was the 50th anniversary year, maybe maybe I was expecting more in terms of the story uh, yeah. telling. It, it just mm. seemed like for me, there were too many endings with get out of uh, jail free moments, if uh, that makes sense. But, there uh, were a few yeah, of those. Yeah. Uh -huh. I think in terms of how long they took to make the series... They actually started slightly later than they usually would, but Did they made really? it in. But made it in pretty much the same amount of time that they usually would. And I, th I, it's, I can't remember exactly, but I have a feeling that the entire series was completed months and months in advance of Series Seven B turning up on the telly. Here's huh. a question for you about that: the Series Seven Part One. Yeah. yeah. Um. With uh, Arthur Darville and Karen, Karen Gillan, yeah. after they finished the the final episode with those two, did they go straight into the next yeah. production? With it, it, it was sort of I think part of the same. I'm pretty sure not they the did. same production yeah. block, but the, yeah. Okay, I didn't so, know I, that. I didn't huh. know that. I wasn't sure. Okay. I think I think it was. Oh gosh, I don't have the facts and figures in front of me. I think it may have been divided by Christmas, and I think it's. Mm. possible that Karen and Arthur finished like a week before Christmas and they took a month off and came back sort of in the middle of January. I am really surprised to hear Hyde, that. the first was Hyde, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, mm. yes, Hyde was yeah. first. But I'm really surprised to hear that because yeah. 7A and 7B feel so different. Yeah, me. yeah. Absolutely. Like, I, I do not feel this way about Series 7 Part uh, 1. I, I adore 7A. I really, really liked that a lot. It, 7B oh, feels so different to me. But it I does, I agree. I think the one difference... I think if they made one mistake, it was that they put the two sort of foreign excursions in the shorter five-episode series and didn't keep anything back like that for the longer eight-episode series. You know, if you're going to put two foreign excursions in, you'd stick them in the eight, wouldn't you? Do you mean like a town called Mercy and, and the Angels uh, Take Manhattan? Yeah, mm, okay. <clears throat> because if you put those two, and here's the other thing: the episode with the dinosaurs in, because of all the special effects and all the monsters <clears throat> and anything else you've had <clears throat> in the entire run, you know, a trip to New York, a trip to the desert, and an episode with dinosaurs. Those are the three that are going to stick stick in the memory more, aren't they? Yes, I I just think I mean I just think the first five episodes, series seven A, is kind of a real plugs into that part of your brain that kind of you know uh, 
latches onto the spectacular. Whereas 7B, as solid as it's been, I don't think there's been anything in 7B that's been as spectacular as any of those three episodes in 7A. And of course, 7B is eight episode run. And in 7A, those three spectacular episodes outnumber the non-spectacular episodes by three to two. Well, this is why I'm really looking forward to, you know, Declan telling us about, you know, why he loved it. I, I'm really looking looking forward to this. So. Well, that, that's, that's just what I, yeah, I was about to say. When I say um, this most recent series of Doctor Who, I mean 7A and 7B. Oh, you're talking about both? Oh, yeah. oh right. both. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, how do you feel are... then, Declan? How do you feel? Can you split them up? And how do you feel the two fare against one another? I, well, probably my least favorite episode of 7A and B was, and please don't, nobody send hate mail or anything, was A Town Called Mercy. Mm. Oh, fair enough. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely and fair. That, and and that's, that's my own personal thing. I'm, I've never been a big fan of Westerns, but it wasn't just that, it just did I, I've seen it twice. Now, normally I watch a Doctor Who episode about six or seven times, you know, mm-hmm. geek alert. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so so for me, um, seven. when I think about 7A, I think, oh, I didn't like A Town Called Mercy. And even The Angels Take Manhattan, as wonderful as it was, it still didn't have the same effect on me as any of the episodes in 7B. So for you, definitely 7B has been stronger than 7A, really. It has been stronger. I think maybe tonally, mm-hmm. um, maybe it could be the companion. I, I absolutely adore Jenna Louise Coleman as, as Clara. I wonder if maybe um, maybe 7A kind of had that on-coming funeral uh, tone to it. Yeah. You know, yes. whereas 7B yes. felt more yes. like a fresh new start maybe for you. That that that's certainly part of it. Yeah, seven A. I knew that it had been signposted well in advance that you know uh, Arthur Darville and uh, Karen Gillan were leaving, so I knew it was building up to that. I love those characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I make no bones about it. But I sort of felt okay. We're we're treading water a little bit before the new. You know what I mean? Sure. I want the new. I want the, I want the new sort of revitalized, regenerated, not in the sense of regeneration as in mm-hmm. the Doctor regeneration, a new regenerated version of the show. So even when it came back at Christmas with um, uh, The Snowman, new title sequence, the Doctor looked different, he was wearing a different costume, a new TARDIS and all that. Essentially, that's what I was... I was waiting for that. Maybe 7A for me was, mm. I, I'm waiting for a change. We've yeah. been in the pawns for so long. Maybe that's it. But I still love this. Sure. I still love Series 7. It just lasts in 7 I wonder, I think you're I, right. I, I'm sorry, I was just thinking, I wonder if similar feelings are going to color people's uh, reaction to the anniversary special coming up because they know, well, Matt mm. Smith, he's on his way out. You know, you know, huh. It could be. Actually. That is actually. Ah, yeah, I didn't think about that. That's a good point. Yeah, it, it, because that's 
to be honest, that's probably what happened to David Tennant in the specials to an extent as well. People mm-hmm. knew by mm-hmm. that point he was going. <laughs> yeah, they were like, get on with it! <laughs> yeah, you're very definitely... Yeah. Uh, that's the thing with Doctor Who. You know it's going to change every now and again. And, you know, regardless of how much you may have liked the current Doctor, as soon as you hear, hear that he's gone, you are excited that the next one is coming up. You are excited yeah. to see the new guy. And if there are still episodes to go out with the current guy before you get to see the new guy, you know, you can't help it. You will be thinking, oh, you know, this guy, he's retired. He's not in the show anymore. Yeah. This episode was filmed before he finished in the job. What's the new guy going to be like? So, you know, Waters of Mars and Planet of the yeah. Dead and The End of Time and even The Next Doctor all of those episodes came after we knew David Tennant was gone. Right. Yes. Yeah. And you know, uh, I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe that also ties in with what Declan was thinking because we knew that Karen and Arthur were gone before we saw those five episodes. And we had yeah. been teased that they were going to die. They were going to properly die. Yeah. So that's it, Ben. That's it. We knew they were going to die. That was it. Just waiting. When's it going to happen? It's building up yeah. to that. Tear off the, the band aid. Just, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But that's not to say that uh, series seven part one wasn't fantastic. It absolutely was. Dinosaurs on a spaceship is. Oh. I. I, I mean, I could watch that. I could watch oh. that every day. That episode. Oh, I, 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 I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's very obvious. All three of us adore this uh, show, and we can say that we don't like it as much, but we still, I mean, I own the twin dilemma on DVD, for God's sake. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we're, we're all good here. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> i tell you one thing, okay, two things uh, that have been a bit different. This is the first time... And, uh, you know, we talk about the fact that it's a split series, so it doesn't quite oh. feel that way. But in terms of the making of it, it has been a series that was divided between one set of characters at one end of the series and another set at the other end of the series. And in terms of production, I just think maybe there's a slight loss of focus there. Because whereas, say, with the Martha series, the focus is on Martha throughout the entire 13 episodes... Yeah, when they were yeah. making this set of episodes, they're concentrating on one set of characters for a certain number of episodes, and then they're concentrating on a different set of characters. I just wonder if there's a slight case of the eye coming off the ball, perhaps. Mm. Meaning, sort of, that they... In, is part one or part two, do you mean? Both. I think in both. both. And I think something else as well. In the fiction, normally, you get the companion sort of joins the TARDIS, joins the Doctor's travels, and travels with the Doctor, and then at the end of their time on the show is when they stop travelling on the TARDIS. But in Series 7A and in Series 7B, we see the Doctor turning up at the start of an adventure, picking up the companions, going off and having the adventure, and then dropping them home again at the end. That's a that's true. That's a very that's different true, dynamic. Yeah. And while I thought, okay, fair enough, he's doing that with Amy and Rory, because of what happened in the God Complex at the start of the series, I wasn't expecting him to be carrying on with exactly yeah. the same thing with Clara in the second half. So somehow I think I I wonder if that also fed into my feeling that Doctor Who was feeling more like a part time job for everybody. 
because well even be. even ah, even yeah. even in the freaking fiction of the show the actual companions weren't even committing to to living full time on the doctor's tardis <laughs> that's really funny that's true you're, you're, you're right you know I, I i haven't thought about that before just when you when you said that there you know that sort of feeling it's, it's all a bit part-time except for the doctor you know who's who's going off hmm. and having who knows what adventures in between but then again uh, the doctor's part-time in their lives so he's kind oh, of yeah. only treating them as part time as much as they're treating being on the TARDIS as part time. And there's no there's no real sort of story or fictional reason for that because as he says to Clara, he says, you know, you could come away with I think in the Bells of St. John, you could come away with me. I it's a time machine, I can leave you back straight away. Yeah, yeah. So there's no reason for her to go back and say, Look after the kids, be the nanny. Fiction-wise, story-wise, there's no reason She's to do that. Sort of, yeah. eating there, it, there might be a uh, yeah, there her, might her souffle. There yeah. might be a uh, character reason. You know, maybe maybe the character wanted to f- have a sense of control over the situation. You know, she and wanted possibly, maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah, and possibly conversely, because the Doctor was unsure of her and the TARDIS, you know, was reacting against yeah. her because obviously the TARDIS knew what was coming. So possibly it's also a case of up until the point at which, you know, the Doctor finds out in the name of the Doctor, he's also holding her at arm's length as much as she is him. And it could be that yeah. now their TARDIS travels start in full with the 12th Doctor. You, you know, you just reminded me of something. I, I think, personally, for me, one of the biggest failures of 7B is okay about three or four episodes in i began to realize that i did not care about the quote-unquote mystery of you know uh clara Clara, and and it's it's like the series never really sold me on the importance of this uh uh mystery and all of the plot lines mm. seem to go out of their way to sh- to sh- to show Clara as being absolutely normal. I mean, I think it was uh, yeah. what was it Hyde? Even the even even the uh, dialogue specifically tells us that she is nothing special. She is just a normal person, and they kept doing that yeah. so much it made yeah. the Doctor's obsession feel really, really I don't know forced. And yeah, you, you know, and, and because of that, I began to feel like I just didn't care about the Clara mystery. And it it was sort of like okay, say you watch a TV show that featured every that features everyday normal light light uh, uh, switches. And the whole time there is this one guy going on and on about how lights lights should not turn on whenever a switch is uh, flipped. But everyone keeps telling him, no, it's okay. Everything is normal. This is actually how light switches work. And that's how I felt. I began to feel like they were showing Clara is just a normal light switch over and over. I I didn't give a flip, I guess is what I'm saying. And the Doctor, and, and every, <laughs> and the doctor was mad to think anything could be otherwise. Yeah. I, I, I mean, because when you think about it, the, the, you know, the mystery, if there was some mystery, it was why does this same person keep coming up? But honestly, if 50 years of Doctor Who has taught me anything, it is that exact duplicates of people show up all the freaking time. You know, like in Black Orchid, you had a couple of Nissas, Androids of Tar, there's a couple of Romanas. Yeah, Romanas. Uh, <laughs> Enemy of the uh, World had two Patrick Travis. So, so Declan, yeah. Then, uh, so yeah. how did you feel about that? About what Ben's just been I, talking about? About I, I, 
that's actually made a lot of sense. I I, I hadn't thought of that until until uh, Ben just mentioned that that sort of uh, idea of yeah, well, she's just a normal girl. Why why are you going on about it? And also knowing as it had been um, promoted heavily that in the name of the doctor we're going to find out the truth behind Clara. So I sort of felt like it was a bit we're going back and forth just for the sake of for the sake of stretching it out to eight episodes stretching out the eight episodes so yeah you're absolutely right i, I, I hadn't thought of that before you yeah and you and, what, and you know i i got the feeling that they specifically said that clara's mystery would be solved at the end of the eight episodes because they didn't want people assuming that it was going to go on for years and years and yeah, complaining yeah. about that <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think you are right about that huh yeah, I think, yeah. but I and had I, a slightly opposite reaction. I liked the fact that she was just an ordinary girl. That uh-huh. something was going to happen to in the future that was going to have caused all this, because that was the impression I got. And I think it was Hyde yes. that settled that for me. I think up until Hyde, I wasn't sure. I didn't know, but when I saw Hyde, I just thought, no, I like the fact that she is just an ordinary person, and something extraordinary is going to happen to her. That's going to kind of like skittle back through time and cause all these things to have happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was building up to. I mean, in the rings of Akaten, Akaten, Oz- yeah, I know. Oskabon, which, is, which uh, uh, yeah, we're, we're we're still we're still on that one. I just, oh, yeah. I know. Uh, <laughs> no. no, we've been going for so long, and I prefer this actually. Going yeah, right, okay. in order is a bit dull. Let's forget that and just talk about the series. But in the in the ring in the rings of Akatan, I thought, okay, oh, that's her. I thought her mystery was going to be resolved. Then you know the whole thing with the leaf and the doctor going back to see her how her parents mm. met and all that. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. There's something very strange going on here. And uh, that was good. I thought that that episode sort of prompted enough interest in Clara and her story and who she was and what she was about. But then, as, as Ben has said, and you've said, JR, it just reminded me they were stretching it out for it. Eight episodes, you know. Yeah. Um, I, this, I don't know. I, but you, often, and I hadn't thought of that before. You yeah. often get that, don't you? And you can't really avoid that. If you're going to have a series of Doctor Who and you're going to set up a mystery in the first episode that you're going to resolve in the last, you know, for all those episodes in between, you are going to have to avoid resolving that mystery, aren't you? Or they set up a mystery, like at the end of Series 5, the Doctor asks, why did the TARDIS explode? And we've never yeah. had an answer for that. No, so, no. Which is the extreme well, opposite, think, you know? And... Yeah. Well, I, like I've said before, I think Moffat's going to tie all that up. I think Moffat's got yeah. a five-year plan or whatever it is for Doctor Who, and it's all going to tie up at the end of Moffat's tenure. I'm I think, you know, obviously yeah. I don't know, but uh, that's my impression. Um, I felt I Sorry, Jerry, I just I felt that in Journey to the Center of the TARDIS, that just just for me squaring the circle, so to speak, that was my explanation for the TARDIS blowing up at the end of Series 5. Whatever happened in Journey to the Center of the TARDIS, remember we saw a crack. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. In the, and the TARDIS sort of exploded or something bad happened to the TARDIS. The engines exploded. To me, I said, okay, that, that, that'll do as my explanation for why the TARDIS exploded back in 
the end of series five. You know, okay, it doesn't make any sense, but you know, just just for my own satisfaction. I think there are, if you want to, I think there are ways you can explain things. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like for me personally, I I didn't because because I have actually heard that theory that okay, this must be why the TARDIS exploded, and I felt like people were saying that because they weren't given any other answer. But yeah, yeah, because yeah. it seems like to me. The explosion and journey to the center of the TARDIS and the explosion in the Pandorica opens, they, those were two separate explosions. Yeah, and they yes. both, and they, in, in both time, and in both times, they found ways to negate that explosion. Like in Journey to the Center, they had the big friendly button, and in the Pandorica, they had the, you know, rewriting the universe thing. So there were, there, there were two mm -hmm. solutions to two, to, to two explosions. That would have had one cause. I, that just that kind of didn't sync up with with me. Here's a resolution that you may not like, but it works <laughs> Bring it. for yes. me. Yeah. Okay. Here's mm -hmm. here's my potential solution if we never do find out, and my solution would be thus: in the Big Bang, the TARDIS is exploding, and if the TARDIS had been allowed to continue to explode we would have found out why it was exploding and who it was who had made it explode. But because the Doctor reset the universe and then went back through his own timeline, that set of events never came around. And we never got to find out why or by whom the TARDIS was exploding. <laughs> I can, I can live with that. I can live with that. <laughs> well, it's not, not going to make most people happy because most people like having those circles squared, but it does kind of work. But, but yeah, okay, speaking as someone, it does, yeah. Speaking as someone who can only watch the uh, the uh, two doctors with the series with the season six B thing going on, I I can totally get <laughs> be behind you, JR. <laughs> right here's another here's another point I'd like to bring up since our conversation has gone wildly astray from where it was meant to, but I like that, guys. I've got a question for the two of you, All right. and this is or something to bring up for an opinion, perhaps. This will be the first time since Rose that a, a companion has been able to straddle two doctors. Say. <laughs> Lucky devil. Whoever <laughs> um... Doctor 12 will be, Clara. No, no, this is the reason why I'm bringing her up, actually. Normally, we get to see a change in the lead personnel in the program through the doctor's eyes. You know, when yeah. Rose becomes Martha, when Martha becomes Donna, when Donna goes and you have a series of one-offs, and when Rory and Amy become Clara, you see the change to the Doctor's eyes. But the Doctor is the alien. What works better yeah. for an audience is having the companions stay the same and the Doctor change. Seeing the change of yeah. Doctor through the companions' eyes. To me, this... Because the first one, the one from Eccleston to Tennant, was before the program had settled down. So yeah. for me, this is the first time we really get to see that as the program being as popular as it is and as much of a fixture as it is and with as steady an audience as it has. This will be the first time we actually get to see a companion properly watch a change of Doctor and properly have to get used to the new Doctor and I'm really looking forward to it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that because for a, in a way, okay, Clara is the audience. Never mind all the whole impossible girl stuff. She she is yeah mm -hmm. the person the person you have to things like... are explained etc. You know she she's the eyes and ears of the audience. But for her, 
watching the man who's become probably one of her closest friends change into someone completely different. I mean, there's a lot of scope there for upset and trauma and a lot of emotion. And her her reaction is the part I'm most looking forward to. Ah, in fact. yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I, of course, I'm excited about the new doctor, whoever he or she may be. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing Clara's reaction to it, how she comes to terms with it, how he explains it to her, and also to the audience. And remember, there'll be people watching this. It'll be their first regeneration. Ah, you know, yeah. Yeah, it'll it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll so be cool. the first time that we've seen that since, uh, you know, Rose did in that in that. That yeah. little children of uh, of uh, need special, which which just great. Yeah, that's and, right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know what's funny? The the way that Clara is getting, you know, splintered through time to help the doctor. It's it's almost like Clara is now bad wolf Mark uh, two. You know, yeah. Way. And she yeah. does kind of get yeah. an advanced preview of the yeah. fact that the doctor changes, but she's still gonna, you know. That's the different Claras that have been out there, but this Clara is still going to have to deal with it, isn't she? She's batter wolf, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she, she'll be, she'll be. Um, that'll add an extra dimension, an extra layer to it. The fact that she knows the Doctor's had eleven other mm. bodies, and in the fiftieth anniversary, she's going to meet at least. One, if not two, of them. <laughs> I'm still holding out for Paul McCann to show up. Oh, happen. I'll tell yeah. you something about that after after we finish <laughs> after we finish the podcast. Um, but um, it'll be interesting because she will she'll have maybe got on board. Yes, the doctor's an alien; he changes his appearance, he regenerates. But the emotional impact of it and all that comes with that, yeah, will be really interesting to watch. That's going to be new. Exciting. That's going to be, be yeah. New. yeah. Um, so, right, we've been here for well over an hour now. <laughs> Instead of going through the stories in order, I tell you what we should do. Let's each name a favourite from the series, from Series 7B. Let's each name a favourite, and then I'll do these last two um, emails, and then we'll call it a night. Is that okay? Sure, sure. Okay, whatever, whatever, yeah. Well, um... Now, do you guys need me to remind you which story you picked as your favourite? Uh, no. No. Okay, so uh, let's do this in... Declan, you go first. What was your favourite? My favourite, although I'm starting to change my mind, but my favourite <laughs> that, I, that, I, that I, I, I put on the list was the name of the Doctor, I think. Yeah, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah, name of the doctor. That was that was my favorite. Is there a, at the time you uh, asked me? That uh, was my favorite. I mean, is there a, is there something about that episode that kind of really stood out and said this is the one you've got to pick? I think it was the 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 bonkersness of it, the madness of the episode, the fact that we got to see these beautiful scenes of Jenna Louise Coleman interacting with William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton and John Pertwee and, and everyone. The 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 tea uh, not the tea party, the um 
The conference. Madam Bass, yeah, the, the conference, conference call. The conference yeah. call, all that. It was just crazy. It was bonkers. It was just wonderfully fun. Yeah. At the same time, it had a very sort of funereal air over it, because it was about <clears> the doctor's <throat> term. But I like that sort of mix, the mix of the two of these. River Song, uh, the doctor kissing her in the, in the TARDIS tomb, and he being the only one who could see that, and the, the look in the faces of the three other um, people, Strax, Jenny, and Vastra, all that, it, just, it was funny, it was heartbreaking, it was shocking, the end, you know, with John Hurt turning around, and, oh, I, I just thought, it was utterly bonkers, utterly Stephen Moffat, <laughs> I just thought it was beautiful, and just fun, and also the thing that I enjoyed on second viewing of it, was thinking, oh, I bet you this has annoyed a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 I like that feeling. I like thinking, oh, oh I, I can imagine. I don't go on those forums anymore, but I can imagine what they are talking about. Declan, just... you are a very naughty man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, can, can, I ask, I can, can I ask one thing about the uh-huh. name of the uh, doctor? What, one thing that kind of confused me or made me laugh, I guess, was the whole huge uh, TARDIS thing, you know, the 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 oh, uh, yeah. the uh, doctor's monument, his final resting place was the TARDIS, but it but it had mm. grown huge. And the uh, doctor says that whenever a TARDIS dies, all all of the bigger on the inside starts leaking to the outside and it uh, grows. It, you know, expands to match all the I huge really like dimensions. That. I really like the way he expressed that. Well, yeah. whatever he was talking about, that it, it made me think way back in series one in parting of uh, the ways, you know, Rose is being sent home in the TARDIS and the, in the what we call it, a uh, hologram of the uh, Ninth Doctor tells her <laughs> just to lock the door, walk away, and let the TARDIS die. Nobody will uh, notice it. And I just think if... <laughs> If that actually happened, wouldn't the people of you know London notice this huge police box the size of a uh, skyscraper <laughs> standing there? <laughs> Maybe because it was a violent death. Oh, that's oh, it like ripped. It, it was da- it was damaged. Yeah, it ripped it. This this final battle. Oh, fan retcon! I love it. I love it. Thank you, Declan. There you go. You've completely. Calm that mystery in, in, in my mind. This is great. <laughs> You're both awful. Um, before I come to you, Ben, I'm going to read out one email All because right. this is kind of about the name of the Doctor. Oh, okay. Actually, that's nice. We'll do Declan, an email, and then you, and then an email. And um, we don't need to do me because I've already done it on the podcast before. <laughs> but from Richard Hogarth, he says, Hey, guys, just finished um, episode 59 of the podcast. I want to thank JR for the nice comments about my theory, but in the end, that's why I don't do this. I leave it to the experts. But I would like to add, with River saying spoilers to the Doctor over Clara, the mystery thickens. I thought the name of the Doctor was a very interesting episode. First time I watched it, I was laughing, crying, and really enjoyed it. The old Doctors were such a fantastic sight to see, and the revelation of Clara was brilliant. Out of all the comments on the episode, I'm surprised you guys didn't comment on Jenna's dress and upskirt shots. I have to say, Saul Metstein can come back as a director any time. I missed that. (laughs) Matt, Jenna and co. were excellent, with Richard E. Grant giving us another brilliant performance. And hopefully he'll come back for the 50th. John Hurt was epic. Murray's score was superb and the piano motif was excellent. I hope it's on the soundtrack album. 
I would be like Simon with my score, but after actually thinking about it, I got very down and I was hoping for more answers to the burning questions Moffat has set up, and not receiving them made me think I prefer Russell T. Davis over Stephen Moffat, because with his seasons, we would get it wrapped up nice and neat. It felt like having a great meal, but with a plotline or two left over for the next season. He had slightly more patchy episodes where Moffat has stronger ones together, so we get a nice little run. Loving the cinematic look, but whilst I love the arcs, I'm getting so tired of him asking more questions and ignoring the answers with his tenure. Coming to an e- but with his tenure coming to an end soon, Russell T. Davis did five seasons while Moffat is preparing his number four, I can't help but think that while we've had some interesting concepts, when I look back, I look back in anger and frustration at spending all these hours watching the show only to be disappointed. I'm hope I, I hope I'm wrong, but if it weren't for Matt, I would have given up on this era. How do you guys feel? So can I just say one, one Go thing? Go on, it's all right, yeah. There based on that, that, that email, he said, uh, I think he said about all these questions, unanswered questions, yeah. something like that, yeah? Yeah. Well, that's the whole point. That's why it's called Doctor Who. You're supposed well, to have these questions, and that, that's, that's the enjoyment of it. Uh, yes, but I mean, there's obviously a difference between having questions about the sort of character and the sort of ongoing 50-year history of the program. And having questions about the specific plot lines that Stephen Moffat set up, which is why I hope that Stephen Moffat is going to tie all of this up in a nice, neat bow when he leaves. <laughs> it's master plan. Mm, it's perhaps, master plan. perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, he just adds a quick postscript because he's been going back through the season, uh, through the season, through the series, and sort of rewatching it from the start in advance of the 50th anniversary. Oh, yeah. Mm. He says. He says Hartnell was really good, but petered out before the end. The goodbye of Ian and Barbara is the best goodbye of companions, with Rose a close second. He loves the way the Doctor didn't want them to leave, which is rarely shown, and his determination to keep them there. He's warmed more to the William Hartnell Doctor now. He thinks J.K. Rowling must have used him as the inspiration for Dumbledore, the lovable (laughs) rogue who knows more than he is letting on. Uh, the stories he enjoyed the most were An Unearthly Child, The Aztecs, Reign of Terror, Planet of Giants and The Chase, and the ones he liked the least were The Sensorites, The Web Planet, and The Time Meddler. Which I find oh, astonishing. I love Time, Time Meddler. Oh. Yeah. Then he, he goes on to Patrick Troughton. He says, Troughton was amazing as the Doctor, but watching his era, you got the feeling that his stories had greatness in them, but were so drawn out because of episodes falling through, etc. <laughs> that he lost interest, and it's a shame we have to judge him on, because this is pretty much all that exists at this point, the final flawed season. He's hoping the BBC will animate the rest of these lost stories, because he's dying to see more Patrick Troughton. His standouts were Tomb of the Sidemen and the Mind Robber, and the ones he liked the least were the Crotons and the Seeds of Death. I, that's, you, you know, I, I, I disagree because in the uh, uh, war war games, I think Troughton has given it his all. I mean, it's technically his very last story, but he is so mm. watchable in that, and it's it's got some oh, of my favorite brilliant. moments from Doctor Who ever. Um, it's my favorite Doctor Who story. Is it really? <laughs> ah! Yeah, absolutely. I love the war game. I've been trying for the past four or five years to get my wife to watch it with me. Yeah. And she never will. No. Because I've told her I've told her how many episodes it is. And that's and she said, no, I, I'm not watching that. Automatic turn off for the spouse, isn't it? It's only ten yeah. episodes long. Yeah, I, but it's accessible. Hmm. It's accessible. I think. I think. No, I think. I, so. I love that. 
I've always said the War Games is almost like what Doctor Who would have been like had it been a serial instead of a series of serials. You can mm. imagine War Games mm. making up an entire series by itself in the oh, modern yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, like, sound, yeah. I mean, every everybody has their own their their own take on it, but I I adore Troughton, and uh, I yeah I can see. Not much that he did that I would have said, ah, he's just phoning it in. He just always seemed to be really on. I don't, I don't know. It's just me. He was the Matt Smith of the classic series. Yeah, he's brilliant. Mm-hmm. The Two Doctors, which is another of my favorite stories, he's brilliant as well. It's been, what, 20 years? How many years since he's last been Doctor Who regularly? What was that, 86? You know, yeah. 86. So, okay, like yeah. three years since the, the, the Five Doctors. But that, you know, it's it's like he's never been away, and he's just perfect. He's wonderful. Yeah. He, I, I can imagine Matt Smith doing that. You stepping easily back into the role and playing it in another twenty years mm-hmm. or thirty years. I yeah. can see it, despite the physical changes. Who cares? We can suspend our disbelief. Yes. Okay, Ben. Yes. Your favorite story from Series Seven B. Do you remember which one it was? Yeah, and like I said, my top four kept kind of shifting, but I think at the end of the day, I think I went with uh, 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 Hyde. You and, did indeed. And Ooh, I yeah. think I put that at my number one because I thought it had the tightest uh, script. It it kind of made the most sense in uh, story terms. There weren't any kind of glaring plot holes, at least none that I could see, and. I, I mean, like, okay, I can get be behind the idea of a ghost being a trapped time traveler as opposed to a giant sun alien who is allergic to, <laughs> to eating leaves, you know? Uh, so, in other words, I think that Hyde was probably the episode that relied on magic the least, if that makes sense. You know, um, yeah, probably the least suspension of disbelief required, perhaps. And, thank you. Yes, that's the best. Way. And it it kind of reminded me of of the best classic uh, series where I wasn't being asked to really, really just come on, just go with this. But it it, it I don't know. It it was very well balanced. Uh, the character inter interplay between the Doctor and Clara. I think this is where I saw it really, really gelling for me. They just were a great little double act in, in this, and uh, it, it just there were so many great lines. The whole I love a uh, toggle. It just uh, I don't know, great. <laughs> really, really liked it a lot. And uh, oh, it's a wonderful episode. Wonderful episode. It's really I think if it as like a. Not a, a pastiche. That's not the word I'm looking for. Like a a, a tribute to seventies British television. Yes. To to I think you mentioned in a previous podcast, Jared, the You know, like the the Christmas horror stories, mm-hmm. the stone tapes. Yeah. Uh, that's the oh. claustrophobic. I did hear you mention uh, that, Jr. And I have not seen that. I'm gonna try to try to try oh, to find that. Seek it so, out if you can. Yeah. yeah. You can find it very easily if you do a very basic search yeah. on on some websites <laughs> you <too>. yeah. thank you <laughs> um oh okay gosh. one more email All right. and then we'll be off um this is from weird bean who i um <laughs> who actually clicked like on the blue box podcast facebook page as we were recording a podcast a couple of weeks ago uh he says dear blue boxers 
How could I not message you following that lovely warm welcome on the last podcast? Uh, it was the one we did for the name of the doctor. And to start proper, I have been listening to the podcast for quite a while, and it's great. So thanks to you all for creating a consistently interesting and entertaining podcast. Oh, we we'll love a bit of flattery. Thank you, Mr. Bean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, and he carries on and says, Now, I think your reviews over the past week have shown that Series 7 Part B has been enjoyable, but something of a mixed bag. Personally, I loved The Bells of St. John. Quirky, a different pace, but still fun. Thought Rings of Akatan was okay. Cold War was disappointing. I still enjoyed it, no. but what a waste of David Warner, he says. And why out of the suit? Oh, why? Hyde was great, even with the logic gaps. Perhaps the creature has a thing about much, much older creatures. Um, <laughs> Journey to the yeah. Journey to the center of the TARDIS was a very good bottle episode. Crimson Horror was just glorious fun. Thank you, Mister Gators, at last. Owen Strax was on top form. Nightmare in Silver was a lot of good ideas, not a good story, alas, and too many ideas shoehorned into one story. Though I guarantee I'll watch it again and again and again. But the name Bloody of the well. Doctor... Oh yeah, of course. We all will. He says, but the name of the Doctor... Well, I agree with J.R. and Mark. A very entertaining episode. Light on story, but still immensely entertaining. And what an ending. I always avoid spoilers, so John Hurt, let alone the end of the episode, was an utter surprise. But how the hell am I supposed to wait until November? Curse you, Mr. Moffat. I've already watched it three times, and I am itching for a fourth viewing. Anyway... Tradition dictates that I now, now tell JR that he is wrong. So, Mr. Southall, I have a bone to pick with you. <laughs> Always comes down to this, doesn't it? <clears throat> he says, a long time ago, you said that in classic Doctor Who, whenever the Doctor meets a repeat creature or character, it is always sequentially, therefore, later in that creature or character's timeline, regardless of where or when the events take place. You also said that this is never addressed within the show. But, in the Dalek invasion of Earth, when questioned how the Daleks can be on Earth after the TARDIS crew already saw them die on Skaro, the Doctor points out that the extinction of the Daleks on Skaro was in the far future of the Daleks, which would have meant everything else Dalek-related from that point on was explained, as these extra Dalek adventures would all have happened before their ultimate destruction. Of course, this is pretty much ignored from then on, so I guess that what I'm saying, JR, is that you are mostly right, but not totally right. <laughs> <laughs> Damn with faint praise. Yes. Oh wow. Actually, I think my point was, um, well, I think my point really, maybe I didn't express it too well, was not that the story, subsequent stories, would take place later in those characters' timelines, necessarily always, but that there would have been advances that could only been explained by the writer in his head mm -hmm. sort of having this as mm. being the next story yeah. after the previous story if you guess what i mean yeah yeah absolutely yeah. anyway he signs off he says that's quite enough blether from me so keep up the good work guys uh weird bean p.s my apologies for referring to you as if you were a pair of gentlemen's under things at the start <laughs> of this email which is exactly what you also did, was it not, I Ben, did. in the uh, email at the start of the episode? I did. I, I did. Well, I like to hold you all close, so what, what can I say? <laughs> oh, 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 I don't want to be held oh. close to that. Hey, can, can I ask one thing here? There was one point I wanted to ask you both, because I guess we're kind of getting near 
me in here. It's been what three days we've been doing this now. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Four and a half. Yeah. The the there was a point in Rings of um, Akatan. Is that how you say that? Akatan. Akatan. You know. Okay. Whenever that went out, you know, the internet just exploded, saying it was terrible, one of the worst episodes ever. You know, and I I actually really like the first half. It's the ending that. I can't take yeah. it, but, but there was, there was a part that people were saying was just great. And I can't take it seriously. It, it's okay. It's at the very end, you know, where the doctor is facing down the giant evil sun God, and he's going to give him his uh, memories and all that. And the little girl starts uh, singing and then everyone else starts singing and the music is swelling and Matt Smith starts talking his big uh, speech where he was saying, I saw the birth of uh, the universe, I watched as time ran out, I watched the universe freeze, creation burn, and keep in mind, the whole time that he's saying this, the music is going under him. I couldn't take it seriously, because all I kept hearing was that old John uh, Pert, 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 uh, Pertwee single, where he was talking, I uh, crossed the void beyond the mind, the empty spaces that circled time, it just... I just kept hearing that. <laughs> oh my god. That song is wonderful. You know, when they do the soundtrack album for this series, if that piece of music is on there, somebody is going to have to have to pass that piece of dialogue out from the episode and stick it on and release it as a single, a mashup single. But I, t- I t- just coming back to the rings of Akatan. Akatan. In fact, a way to remember it is to think David Tennant. Aka... <laughs> it's Sorry. not Shaka Khan, it's Aka Ten. Got it. Ten. Right. But the be- I have actually done this. Um, play the episode, record the episode on Audacity or something, or just play the episode and close the window yeah. on your computer and just listen to it in, in your headphones. And it sounds wonderful. Depends if you like sort of classical or orchestral music or... Uh-huh. That type of thing, but it sounds absolutely beautiful. It's a rich, multi-layered episode, you know. Especially the, I think the music really. That that's why I like the episode. Mm-hmm. It's the music, really. It just it sells it to me. But just listen to it. Don't watch it. Listen to it as if it's like an audio play. <laughs> Probably would work better. You wouldn't get to oh, see. You wouldn't oh, get to God. see Matt Smith standing there talking to a giant orb in the sky that's pulling funny faces at him oh gosh that yeah. <laughs> you know that that is probably my signature ex- example of how stuff would happen in this series and i was just what come on that's something that takes me out of the moment because you know my uh-huh. my my immediate reaction was they put out the freaking sun how is mm. there still gravity and heat and life why isn't everyone dead <laughs> And, uh, well, I think somebody said, actually, uh-huh. that what happened was the sun was extinguished, but came back as a sun with the alien presence inside it uh, having been extinguished. Did we see the that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, gosh. Because, honestly, I think that a better story would have been how how does the Doctor save these millions of of people now that their son has gone out and they, and they have microseconds to Mm. live, but that would uh, get in the way of telling a better story about leaves and stuff. I happen to think of Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who and Russell T Davis to a certain extent, 
you know, as being fairly metaphorical anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, I think some of the yeah. things we see on screen are just kind of vaguely metaphorical in nature. We shouldn't necessarily always take them as literally as they're kind of presented to us because it is a kind of a fairy tale and it is a kind of a children's story. And, you know, in sort of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, you know, the bears aren't actually going to walk in and start talking to her. That's in the story. No. I kind of get a sense that Stephen Moffat's writing something sometimes where you can't take everything quite as seriously as you might want to. They're fables. Yeah, They're they are. They and, are. It, and it goes back to your sort of literary agent sort of uh, hypothesis. Yeah, yeah. We're not watching the actual documentary events unfold. The, yeah, we're watching documentary. A, it's a recreation. A, a retelling of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, a retelling of it. This. The Rings of Akaten is a story told by a mother to its child. This is what happened. A brave doctor came and yes. fought the sun monster and the sun went out, but we all lived happily ever after. If you look at it like that. Mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think what's bugging me more and more with this is, you know, we, we keep hearing the excuse that you shouldn't let science or X or explaining things get in the way of telling a good uh, story. You know, you're just supposed to go ahead and enjoy the, the, the ride. But I, I'm beginning to feel that it's giving people more and more leeway to just keep putting in these unplausible things that are taking me out of the moment more and more. Maybe. And like, like I, I think the, the first time I noticed it and it really bugged me was at the beginning of Dr. Witter and Dr. Widow in the, uh, in the uh, wardrobe, you know, in the very start for several minutes, we see the doctor swimming through the vacuum of space, completely un unprotected in his uh, street clothes. And that really oh, bugged me. Yeah. It completely took me out, out of the moment. And, but, you know, if you try to argue that, you know, people will tell you, Oh, you're just being a cynical fanboy. Shut up and let it go. But, I, I keep right. feeling like they keep pushing the plausibility line further and further. And, you know, I, I fully expect that someday there's going to be an episode set entirely under, uh, you know, water. And the Doctor and Clara, they're going to leave the TARDIS in their street clothes, walk around on the ocean floor and be able to breathe. <laughs> and they're not going to explain it at all. Well, you know what? <laughs> the last 10 minutes of City of Death back in 1970 nine yeah. or yeah nine was um you know set on a pre-oxygenated <laughs> earth good point uh, it's good a point. douglas adams thing isn't it <laughs> i think i think douglas adams ethos was uh story comes before plausibility <laughs> a doctor who's never been plausible i know no. but i just it's about a man who regenerates who lives in a box that's bigger on the inside well I think what I'm exactly. what I'm missing though is it was never plausible, but they would occasionally give one line explanation, like just not bothering at the yeah, moment. Yeah, they've completely stopped. Like, okay, for example, it it used to be the worst thing in the world in Classic Who for the for the TARDIS doors to to open during a flight. Like you had the inside the spaceship, mm. edge of destruction, or enemy of the uh, of the uh, world. But now it's okay to fling them open because there was a simple line in the Runaway Bride where there's a where there's a force field. The TARDIS is protecting them. 
That's all I needed was just that yeah. one line, and I'm fine with it. <laughs> well, maybe. Oh, like so, yeah. just a line, yeah. But I think uh, you know, I think there'll we be don't another change showrunner, and the kind of <laughs> the bench will be set again in a different place. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Anyway, well, but, I think sorry. we have to sort of before oh, we I'm get sorry. into another hour-long conversation. <laughs> I think we have to stop it there, guys. I'm sorry, I could talk okay. about this for hours. Yeah, because so, yeah. that's the start of a conversation that could go on for another hour or so. I think. <laughs> um, look, I should, Declan, thank you very much for coming along. Jr., thank you. It's been a real pleasure, absolute joy. And Ben, and a great, and great meeting you too, Ben. You too, yeah, Declan. That's thank a, you. Really a joy. Thank you both. Thank you, Ben, too. Thank you it's very been, much. It's been excellent. I think I should have you two back more often and get rid of the other guys. <laughs> but don't tell them I said that. Uh, do they actually listen to this podcast? Would they actually know that? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I know Lee doesn't. <laughs> no, he doesn't. I don't think he even listens as he's recording it. No, I don't think he does. Oh. Uh, I think the other two probably would, so maybe I'll edit this bit out. Nah. <laughs> well, seriously, Jr. Keep keep up because this this is one of my favorites, probably my my favorite Doctor Who cast. Oh, it's certainly so, my favorite. Please. Yeah, it's my it's the best Doctor Who podcast I've done. Oh, guys, you're only saying that because I invited you to come on. Now, shut up. <laughs> no, I'm saying it, it, it's because it's true. Have you have you heard some of the other ones right there? My God. <laughs> Before we get ourselves in trouble, oh, God. I'm going to say, I was JR. I was Ben. And I was Declan. And we'll speak again soon. Got a, I've, I have a special reason why. Uh, okay, I am looking at my bookshelf, and I've got all e- e- 11 Dr. Action figures lined up on my bookcase. <laughs> and they're looking very smart. They're very impressive. And then, you know, char- character option goes and changes the scale from 5 inches to 3.75 inches. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah. I, can, I can live with that as long as Matt Smith stays as the doctor. And now he's leaving, so... What the hell am I supposed to do with my bookshelf display when the action figure for the twelfth Doctor comes out? I'm gonna—it's gonna be three inches tall and look all wrong, you know. So it is wrong, isn't it? <laughs> I, I think I'm—I'm I'm probably gonna have to do one of those forced perspective things that uh, Peter Jackson does in the uh, Lord of the Ring movies, you know, to make the hobbits and the wizards all look right. So uh, I'm probably gonna they be just, Peter Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Just move the figure forward and the other one's back well i've heard that and don't look too closely i've heard yeah. that these three and a half inch figures if you put them in water at the right temperature they will grow and you just have to fish it out at exactly the right moment when it achieves five inches oh like sea monkeys do you remember sea monkeys <laughs> yes 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 the things i do to be a completionist it's it is the it is the cross that fans have to bear, I guess. Uh, absolutely. But, Do you know what, well, though? Yeah. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they have the good sense, even if it's just in the collector shops. But you know the um, underground toys 
uh, figures. Yeah. They're, they're still going to be in the five-inch scale. But I think it's only for the classic series. I mean, there's some sort of a weird contract thing there. I don't think right. it's contract. I think it's just that they've been doing the classic series because the main toy shops have been doing the new series. But I suspect that um, if they wanted to, they probably could do a 5-inch 12 Doctor. I'm just hoping they do. Because yeah. like you, I'm absolutely the same. I've got all these Doctors lined up on the shelf. And I do not want a diminutive 12, in, you know, 12 Doctors standing right next to them. I tell you, well, JR, you are going to have to shove all, all of your old figures to the very far back and put the 12th one at the very front and just yeah. sort of angle your, yourself so it looks right. Sorry, JR. Go on. No, you go on, Declan. It's all right. Well, what, 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 what I'm thinking is, remember that set that was released about a year or two back, which had yeah. all... 11 Doctors uh, yeah. with their summer screwdrivers. They might do something like that again with the 12th Doctor, whoever whoever's that's going to be, just as a one-off. Okay, it's a bit of a marketing ploy. We'll get everyone to buy that set again just to get a 5-inch 12th Doctor. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, put it past them. No, I wouldn't put it past them either, to be honest. <laughs> and let's face it, as a, you know, as 60 quid, say, it would cost 60 quid. Yeah. There are people who would spend 60 quid on getting a 12th Doctor in the hope that maybe they could sell off the other 11 or something on eBay if they already had them. Yeah. It could happen. The other alternative (laughs) is to take the first 11 Doctors and put them in your trouser pockets and then put it in the washing machine and hope they shrink. Shrink them, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Or cut them all off at the... uh, Knee. I guess knee, yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 